Grace to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text that we have before us today is the gospel lesson. It's taken from Luke chapter 7. We hear verses 36 through 50. Please rise as we hear these words in Jesus' name. A certain one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And Jesus entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Just then, a sinful woman from that town learned that he was reclining in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume, stood behind him near his feet, weeping, and began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she began to wipe them with her hair, while also kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would realize who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, because she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. He said, Teacher, say it. A certain moneylender had two debtors. The one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one who had the larger debt forgiven. Then he told him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, but you did not give me water for my feet. Yet she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but she, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That is why she loved so much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. Those reclining at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And we pray, give us hearts, O Lord, that recognize our own sin and guilt, but also see and rejoice in the great forgiveness that comes from you alone. Amen. Please be seated. Simon the Pharisee had invited Jesus over to his house for dinner. And this was a common thing for important people of a town to do. Whenever there was some notable person, maybe some guest celebrity would come to to town, those who were of any importance in that town would, would invite that person over. And really it was kind of a form of entertainment in Jesus' day. It was probably like the late night TV show of that time. When someone notable came to town, they would be invited over to someone's house. They would lay on these cushions around a low table. They would eat together, and all the while, the host would be interviewing this other person or sometimes engaging in a debate or having some sort of roundtable discussion with them. Meanwhile, there would be a a viewing gallery around the table. The townspeople would come in, and they would listen and watch as a sort of live live studio audience. So Jesus is there at this table in Simon the Pharisee's home, and suddenly this highly awkward situation arises. There's this very emotional woman who is 
infamous. She's this notorious sinner. Everyone in town knows who she is and something that she had done wrong. She starts making a scene with Jesus' feet, touching him and showing him adoration. Now, for all the rest of the people there watching, they would have been totally weirded out by this scene. Perhaps they were even just disgusted to see this woman touching Jesus and Jesus not really doing anything about it. We have the reaction recorded for us in our text of Simon the Pharisee who who said to himself, who said in his heart, why doesn't Jesus know who this is? What a despicable woman this is. If he really were a prophet like he claims to be, he would have nothing to do with her. Simon's thoughts are honestly rather relatable because this is a question that comes naturally to people. When we see and when we look at other people and and we know the sins that they are guilty of. After all, being a Pharisee is really our default setting as sinful people. We might look at such a situation and we might say, why would Jesus, why would Jesus have anything to do with that person, that person who has done these awful things, that person who has lived this certain awful lifestyle, this person that's had these crazy political views, this person who has been our enemy, This person who has hurt other people. This person who has hurt me. God, with his hatred for sin, really shouldn't have anything to do with that other person. We're tempted to think that. To think like Simon the Pharisee. Dear friends, do you know bad people? Do you know people who have have committed really terrible sins? Consider this notoriously sinful woman in our text. Who is that person in your life that you've looked at and perhaps even felt disgust towards them? Perhaps it's even someone that you might have seen in church. Maybe you've thought, what in the world is that person doing here? I know what they have done. That person isn't worthy of God or of being here. Or what if you saw that person walk in through our doors and come sit down next to you in the pew? How would you feel about that? This is the flaw, this is the fault, the sin of the Pharisee. And this is something that we struggle with as well. That we might look at another person and look at their guilt and we might say that person is unworthy of God. Now yes, of course, we know very well God hates sin. It's true. God can have no part of sin. He wants people to obey his commands. And his expectation is for people to have perfect obedience and righteousness. But we also know that we have a God who has the very nature of being merciful, of being forgiving, of being gracious. We have a God who wants to invite even the worst sinners to come to him with repentant hearts. He desires those who are spiritually sick to come to him as the divine physician who can help them. Even notoriously sinful, wicked people are welcomed. 
and even sought out by Christ. Think of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Think of of the thief on the cross next to Jesus. Think of Saul, the Pharisee, the great persecutor of the church. Think of how God brought these people into his kingdom. If God's willingness to forgive even terrible sinners isn't something that you and I rejoice in, well, then there's a problem. We would be making the same mistake. We would be committing the same sin as Simon the Pharisee in our text. We would ultimately be rejecting Christ. We would be rejecting his his work, his purpose, his mission for coming into this world. We would be doubting his grace. We would be lacking faith in God's goodness and mercy. And ultimately, we would be, if we had this heart and attitude, we would be saying that God's gospel message... It's wrong. It's false. It's evil. To look at other people as being unworthy of God. Unworthy of God. The God whose very nature is to forgive sins. If we were to say that, we would be making ourselves like Simon, the Pharisee, in our text. Having no love for God or for our neighbors. Instead, we would be full of of sinful pride, arrogance, self-righteousness. We would be acting as if there has to be something that we people have to do in order to be worthy of God. And that completely misses the point of Christianity. And what is especially diabolical and tricky about this sin of the Pharisee is the blindness of it all. How this is a sin that is in denial. It's a sin that's covered up. It's a sin that's ignored and dismissed. The Pharisee is distracted by other people's sins. He's pointing and looking and saying, oh, look at how bad those other things are, thinking that his own problems are very small and minor and nothing to worry about. He's looking at other people and saying, well, their sins are worse, but it's not worse. It's not worse if those other sins have been repented of and have, been, and have found forgiveness in Christ. The sin of the pharisaical heart that looks down at others is worse when that's the sin that is held onto, when it remains attached and intact, and that's the sin that can doom a soul. You and I, we know that our Lord Jesus has come into the world to redeem all people. He came to pay for the sins of the whole world. And Scripture is really clear about this. God doesn't want anyone to be condemned. Old Testament and New Testament. In Ezekiel 33, God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Or as Peter writes in his epistle, God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God desires to give forgiveness, even to the worst sinners. And this is something that you and I should never scoff at or doubt. It's something instead that that we should rejoice in and shout out, proclaim. You and I, we know and we understand that, that church, it's not an exclusive club for holy people, as the saying goes. It's a hospital for sinners. And you and I know that firsthand. Because we realize 
how much trouble we are in. We realize our own sickness when the law is preached to us, when we compare ourselves to God's standard of perfection and we see how we have fallen short and we say, Lord, we need your help. We come here to this place and we admit that we are sinners in need of forgiveness. As Christians, we don't claim to be without sin. We know and we freely confess our sins. We're not interested in covering up our sins or dismissing them or ignoring them. We instead want to come before Jesus and lay all of these sins at his feet so that he will take them away from us. We don't downplay our guilt. Instead, we want to see how huge and monstrous and ugly our sin and guilt really is so that we can then rightly appreciate how great, how glorious, how huge the power, the work, the forgiveness of our Savior Jesus is. Martin Luther had a, had a great quote. He once said that if you consider yourself to be a little sinner, well, then you will inevitably see Jesus as a little Savior. But then turning that on the flip side, when we recognize how big, how ugly our sins and guilt are, well, then we will also see how big the love of our Savior is for us. How great God's forgiveness is. This is something that St. Paul talked about in Romans chapter 5 when he said, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. When the preaching of the law comes and we hear, and it stings and it hurts us, when we hear that we have done things that have defied God and that we are in trouble, when we have this true knowledge and understanding of our sin, that, dear friends, is when the gospel message comes to us at its sweetest, when it is most precious to us. And that's why we come here to church, to hear the preaching of the law and the gospel. We come here to church and we freely admit, we confess our sins, and we then marvel over this one who forgives sins. Jesus has the power to forgive sins. The very Son of God who has existed from eternity, he decided to come into this world to take on human flesh and blood, to become our brother so that he could come and forgive and cancel our debt of sin. We have committed terrible sins. Some are notorious, public. Other people know what we've done. We might have also terrible sins that are secretive, hidden in the dark corners of our hearts. Glory be to Jesus. He doesn't have any sins like these attached to him. He never committed such sins. He had perfect love for God and for all of his neighbors. And he showed this perfect love in his thoughts and his words and his deeds. Even the Pharisees that were intent on getting rid of Jesus. These Pharisees who were, who were out to murder Jesus, and Jesus knew it. He never looked down on them as being unworthy. Instead, he went to them again and again, trying to shake them from this, this denial that they were in so that they might see their sins and so that they might have the forgiveness that people need from him. Our Lord Jesus lived a righteous life. His, his life was pleasing to God. Jesus' life met the expectation of perfection that God had set. 
And yet our Lord Jesus willingly also marches to the cross where he became sin for us. He had no guilt, and yet he takes the guilt of the whole world upon himself. He takes all of our sins off of our shoulders, and he bears them on his own shoulders to the cross. He suffers what we deserve to suffer. He did that for us in our place. Our sins should have separated us from God, but Jesus took those sins, and he suffered separation from God as he died upon the cross. But then glory be to Jesus on the third day, the day of resurrection, we see the tomb, it's open and empty. Jesus is risen to life. And with that open and empty tomb, God the Father now gives a public declaration that all sins have been covered. They have been paid for. They are now canceled. Jesus does, in fact, have the authority to forgive sins. The open and empty tomb on Easter proves it. And all who believe in him, all who trust in his forgiveness, now are at complete peace with God. And we have the promise that, that heaven is waiting for us. And dear friends, this is why we come and gather here. Just like that sinful woman in our text, she heard Jesus was nearby. She wanted to go to him. She wanted the encouragement and strengthening from him and to, to show him her appreciation and love. That's why we come here to this place. That's why we come to church. This is where Jesus, our Savior, now says, I will meet you here. The divine physician says, I have open appointments for all of you who are in need of help. <laughs> Come. And he comes and he treats us as he speaks to us through his word. As he pours that life-giving of water, a baptism upon us, the washing of regeneration. As he shares his own body and blood with us in the Lord's Supper for the forgiveness of our sins. In all of these places, Jesus is, is delivering to you and to me exactly what he delivered to that sinful woman in Simon the Pharisee's house. As we gather here, as we receive word and sacrament, Jesus says to you, your sins have been forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And as Christians, we we understand and we rejoice in the fact that God has rescued us. God has pulled us out of the jaws of hell itself. When we turn to him with repentant hearts, when we put our trust in, in Christ, when we know that he has forgiven us our sins, God reaches down and he pulls us out of death and despair and he says, I have the exact opposite in store for you. Joy and bliss unending in heaven. And that, for you and me as Christians, is the source of joy and peace and happiness. When we realize the great rescue that God has undertaken for you and for me, we can't help but want to love God back. And this is why that woman in our text at Simon's house was making such a big scene. That awkward scene that she was making. Jesus proclaimed that she was doing this because she had a saving faith. This was a woman who recognized the, the great depths of her debt, of her sin. But she also realized that that sin had been canceled and forgiven by Jesus. And this is what moved her to tears. This is what moved her to honor and adore the feet of this one who brought good news.
She knew her many sins. But then she also saw the great forgiveness that Jesus had had for her. And this is what then caused her to love much. Please be sure to understand that this woman's demonstration of love is not what caused Jesus to forgive her. It wasn't the cause of her forgiveness. Some, Some have mistakenly taken it this way. As if her adoration, as if her showing love was some sort of good work that she did that earned it for her. That's not at all what the text says. Jesus' forgiveness of her sins came first. Jesus explained it. The debt is canceled. Now who will show greater love, he asks. She had faith in that canceling of her debt. Her faith in what Jesus was doing is what moved this woman to act out in this way, to express her love, even in this awkward scene at Simon's table. Jesus was being praised. He was being glorified by this woman who was, in spite of the ideas of Simon and everyone else, they thought she was this notoriously awful, sinful woman. And yet the reality was that in God's eyes, she was one of God's holy saints. And the love that she was showing was a reaction to that love that she had first of all received from her Savior. This is what gospel motivation is really all about. And this is what God wants also from you and from me. He wants this kind of love flowing out of our hearts. He wants this to be a love that's motivated by by seeing the forgiveness that he gives to us of our terrible sins. We recognize our many sins. And then we also recognize and see the great forgiveness that Jesus has given to us. And this is what moves us to now show much love. So like that woman, whenever we hear that Jesus is is going to be near, we're going to have hearts that want to come and be with him. We want to draw near to him. We want to find forgiveness in him. And we want to express our love and appreciation to him. And we don't even care if showing that love is going to make a scene or be awkward. We don't need to worry about about, uh, other people judging us because our Lord Jesus is, is happy and willing to take our praise and adoration. He is happy also to assure us again and again, as he does with this woman in our text. He speaks to you and me the same words that he speaks to her. Your sins are forgiven Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen.